0: reading this morning is from Habakkuk chapter 3, uh, verses 17 through 19. If you know any verses from the book of Habakkuk, these are the three that you're probably uh, maybe familiar with, and it's a great declaration of faith in God, and we're going to unpack it in just a little bit. So uh, you follow along as I read. This is the end of the book of Habakkuk. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines... Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Let's uh, let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the fact that we're redeemed. Lord, not by our own effort, not by our own works, but we are redeemed through the blood of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. Lord, we're so thankful for the cross. We're so thankful to be forgiven. We're so thankful that when we put our faith in Jesus, that the Apostle Paul writes, there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. And we have the promise of uh, being on a journey, as we sung, a journey to... uh, uh, heaven someday. Lord, in the meantime, um, help us to faithfully serve you. Lord, this morning we pray for our uh, leaders. Lord, we pray for President Biden. We pray for our leaders of our nation. We pray for the leaders of our state, our local leaders. Lord, would they look to you for guidance. Lord, help us as Christians to be salt and light and quite frankly, a culture that has turned away from you. Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Ukraine this morning. Lord, um, the difficulty there and the millions that have fled that country. Lord, we pray for uh, an end to the war. We pray for peace. Lord, uh, thank you that we can experience the peace of God in our life, even in the midst of turmoil and difficulty Lord, may we experience that today and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We have been looking at this little Old Testament book. It's difficult to find in the Old Testament. It's uh, the book of Habakkuk. And uh, we started this series a couple weeks ago. Habakkuk is one of the shortest books in the Bible, it's only three chapters, 56 verses. So we're going to uh, conclude the book of Habakkuk today as we think about a minor prophet with a major message. And what is the major message of Habakkuk? And if I could just kind of uh, give us the big, the big picture, is the major message is that God is sovereign and in control of our world and our lives, even in the midst of turmoil, even in the midst of not understanding what he's doing. Uh, That's the major message of Habakkuk. So let me just review. Um, Habakkuk is a dialogue between God and one person, the prophet Habakkuk. And so in chapter 1, they dialogue back and forth. In chapter 2, God answers Habakkuk. And then in chapter 3, we're going to see that Habakkuk concludes with a prayer of praise uh, to God. So in chapter 1, Habakkuk has some questions. He has some questions because, let me give you the historical background, we're at 600 BC. Habakkuk is a prophet to the southern kingdom of Judah. The northern kingdom has already fallen to the Assyrians in 722 BC, and now the southern kingdom um, is about ready to fall as well. And Habakkuk is questioning uh, the moral and spiritual condition of God's people, the nation of Judah. And his question to God is this. How long, God, before you do something about the moral and spiritual decline of God's people? When will you act? When will you do something? Because God's people have turned away from you, and they're on a downward spiral. And Habakkuk's frustrated. It's actually a complaint to God. And God answers him in chapter one. And he says, I'm going to do something. And his answer is that I'm going to bring the Babylonians, and they're going to come and they're going to judge God's people. And now all of a sudden, Habakkuk has another question How in the world can God use a righteous God, use a nation? more wicked than God's people, Judah, to judge Judah. And that's how chapter 1 ends and chapter 2 begins with Habakkuk waiting for God's answer. And God answers him in chapter 2, and we looked at it last week, that God answers and says, I want you to write down what I'm going to tell you. I want you to wait for it because it's certainly going to happen. And the answer is, I am going to judge the Babylonians. And we looked at five woes that God pronounced, why he's going to judge the Babylonians. They were not very nice people. In fact, in chapter 1, here's how they are described. Um, Verses 6 and 7, Ruthless, impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a lot of themselves, and they promote their own honor. They're proud, they're ruthless, And God says, I'm going to judge them. You just have to wait. And so uh, that was God's message. And chapter 2 ends with uh, worship. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 20, how the chapter 2 ends. Habakkuk writes, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. God knows what he's doing. And that judgment did come. Now, it came 70 years later, but the Medes and the Persians came, and we know in history, and uh, conquered the the Babylonian Empire, and judgment came to Babylon. And so that brings us to chapter 3, where we're going to look at this morning. And uh, as I mentioned, chapter 3 then is Habakkuk's response back to God. And it's really a prayer. And so we want to unpack this this morning, and then we want to think about three or four application truths that we can learn from uh, Habakkuk chapter 3. So chapter 3, verse 1, a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, and there's this little strange word there, and at least in my Bible, it's probably in yours as well, on Shigianoth. What in the world is on Shigianoth? Well, um, that's like a musical term. And it speaks of a passion. And so perhaps this prayer of Habakkuk was something that uh, maybe was was sung uh, at the very end of the chapter. It says, for the director of music on stringed instruments. And oftentimes uh, many of the psalms were turned into songs. And so this is a prayer, a passionate prayer that uh, Habakkuk offers to God that perhaps was turned to uh A song and music. So here's our outline. Here's the first part of our our outline. In this prayer, Habakkuk recalls the faithfulness of God. This is where Habakkuk starts when he thinks about who God is and what's going on in history at that time. He, in his prayer, recounts and recalls God's faithfulness. Uh, let's pick it up in verse 2. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. God, I know what you've done in the past, history. And I stand in awe of you. That's something that we've kind of lost in our culture and worship today of just being in awe of who God is. Habakkuk's in awe of God and And he's going to begin to think about the faithfulness of God. And here he he makes two requests in this prayer. They're found in the second part of verse 2. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known again. God, would you work in our day today just like you've done in the past? And that's uh, our, our heart's desire as well. And then he makes another request. In your wrath, remember mercy. God's about to judge God's people. and What's what's Habakkuk asking for? What do we all want when judgment comes? We all want mercy, don't we? We want leniency. And so Habakkuk is asking God to be merciful in his judgment of God. And now in this long section, and we're going to kind of read through it um, quickly, in this long section, verses 3 through 15, Habakkuk begins to recount the faithfulness of God. And it's poetic language, and there's kind of hints that we can pick up on that we can relate to God's acts and faithfulness in the Old Testament. And so let me just read uh, verses 3 through 15. It's a long section, but we're going to read it and uh, discover um, Habakkuk recounting what God has done, how God's been faithful. Uh, God came from Timan, the Holy One from Mount Paran. That has to do with Mount Sinai area, and uh, where God gave the law. His glory covered the heavens, and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand, where his power was hidden. Habakkuk is going to portray God as a mighty warrior. In a fact, that's one of the names of God. He's the lion and the lamb. He's a mighty warrior. Plagues went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. Perhaps that's a reference to um, Exodus and the ten plagues. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed, but he marches on forever. If you read Exodus chapter 20 carefully, where God gives the law to the nation of Israel, that's a dramatic passage. Mount Sinai began to quake, and there was smoke filled, and it was a traumatic experience. Perhaps that's a reference to Mount Sinai. I saw the tents of Cushan in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Some rhetorical questions. Were you angry with the rivers? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode your horses and your chariots to victory? Perhaps a reference to what? The crossing of the Jordan River or perhaps more specifically the Red Sea. When God parted the Red Sea and the Israelites came through on dry ground and then um, the seas closed and the Egyptian army drowned. You uncovered your bow. You called for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and quaked. Torrents of water swept by the deep, roared, and lifted its ways on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens. Remember that story? Joshua chapter 10. And here is is Joshua, and he is fighting a battle, and he's at Gibeon, and he needs more time, and he prays a very dramatic prayer. God, would you make the sun stand still? And the scripture says for an extended period of time, the sun remained up in the sky until Joshua could finish his battle. So Habakkuk's recalling all these miracles of the past, sun and the moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath you strode through the earth, in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot with his own spear. You pierced his head. With his warriors stormed out to scatter when his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding. Verse 15, another reference to the Red Sea. You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. Habakkuk begins his prayer by just recounting all that God has done in the past, his power and his faithfulness. And he's saying to God, would you do that again in our day? And God, when you do judge, would you be merciful? Now, we're going to spend most of our time on the, on the, the rest of the, the section here, the last four or five verses. And uh, Habakkuk, first of all, recounts God's faithfulness in the past, but now Habakkuk declares his faith in the promises of God and the person of God. Habakkuk declares his faith in the midst of tumultuous times, in the midst of national turmoil, in the midst of judgment beginning to, about to come on God's people. Habakkuk declares his faith in the promises and the person of God. And what I want you to know this morning, what we're going to talk about in the next um, 15 or 20 minutes here. Uh, is not Christianity 101. This is something that is very, very difficult to do. This is like an upper-level course in Christianity. We're going to see to declare God's praises and to praise Him when um, life is not going well, when difficulty comes, when tragedy comes, and to be able to to make a choice to rejoice in who God is and to praise Him, this is difficult stuff. Uh, so this is like an advanced level uh, of, a, of, of a course in Christianity. So uh, let's let's look at verse sixteen. Here's how the book concludes: I heard and my heart pounded, my lips quivered at the sound. De- K crept into my bones, and my legs trembled. (laughs) Habakkuk is literally shaking in his boots. He's afraid. Judgment is coming, and and he's wondering, what will that be like, and, and what will that be like for God's people and for Habakkuk himself? Habakkuk is afraid. There's a couple of great verses in psalm fifty six verses three and four for years I thought these are a great verse for verses for kids, and so I'd often share them with kids and teach them with kids and 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 then I discovered these are great verses for all of us. Let me read them psalm fifty six three when I am afraid, just because we become adult doesn't mean we no longer uh, experience Fear, being afraid in our life. When I'm afraid, I will put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise. In God, I will trust and I'm not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? So what do we do when fear comes into our lives? The Bible says, look to God and put your trust and hope in him. That's the course of action. And so Habakkuk's afraid. Now, what gives Habakkuk hope and encouragement in his fear and in the national distress that's going to come in the judgment? What gives him hope and what gives us hope is the promises of God and the person of God. And so Habakkuk um, clings to a promise here. And notice the last part of verse 16 yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. So he knows God's people are going to be judged by the Babylonians, but he's also looking forward to a future day when God said, I'm going to judge the Babylonians too. And that gave him hope and that gave him encouragement. In the long run, no one in this world is going to get away with anything. God is a just God. Genesis 18.25 says, Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And the great white throne judgment, we looked at it briefly. Um, this is a judgment for all unbelievers. It's talked about in Revelation chapter 20. And here's the great white throne judgment. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. So people might get away with something. We might see injustice and it never gets taken care of in this world. Guess what? It will get taken care of because God, the just judge, will judge everyone and he'll do it justly. And so Habakkuk says, I'm going to wait patiently, and God's going to judge the Babylonians. And he did. Now, I don't know how long Habakkuk lived. It was 70 years from the time he wrote this until God judged the Babylonians. What we need to realize is that sometimes God's promises and what God's going to do happens after we're gone, (laughs) In other words, we pray and pray for something, and and it it doesn't happen, but that doesn't limit God. God can do it in his timing, and he will. And so Habakkuk is declaring his faith in the promises of God and also in the person of God. Uh, Let me just just backtrack a little bit because I mentioned earlier that um, Habakkuk was... Afraid, uh, fearful because God's judgment was about to come on, um, the nation of Judah. Um, and so let me, uh, go back to 2 Kings and let me just give you a little, um, little overview of, of what happened of how God used the Babylonians to judge, uh, Judah and why Habakkuk was afraid. Uh, this is 2 Kings chapter 24. Uh, beginning in verse um 12 second kings 24:12 in the 8th year of the reign of the king of babylon he took jehoiakim he is king nebuchadnezzar the king of babylon he took jehoiakim prisoner that's the king of judah as the lord had declared nebuchadnezzar removed the treasures from the temple of the lord and from the royal palace He cut up the gold articles that Solomon, king of Israel, had made for the temple of the Lord. He carried all Jerusalem into exile, all the officers and fighting men, all the skilled workers and artisans, a total of 10,000 people. Only the poorest people of the land were left. And Nebuchadnezzar took Jehoiakim captive to Babylon. He also took from Jerusalem to Babylon the king's mother, his wives, his officials, and the prominent people of the land— this is where the book of Daniel comes in. 2 Kings 25, verse 8, On the seventh day of the fifth month, the 19th year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuzaradan, commander of the imperial guard and official of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. He set fire to the temple of the Lord, the royal palace, and all the houses of Jerusalem. Every important building he burned down. The whole Babylonian army under the commander of the imperial guard broke down the walls of Jerusalem. Nebuzaradan the commander of the guard carried into exile the people who remained in the city along with the rest of the populace and those who had deserted to the king of Babylon. That's the judgment that came on Judah. The city of Jerusalem the walls torn down, uh, the city burned down. All the gold and silver and articles from the temple uh, taken. They went through and they burned all the houses—a scorched earth policy. They took the people that were left, and a lot of them, and they took them as as captives, a thousand miles away to Babylon. No wonder Habakkuk was afraid and asking for God's mercy. Well, back to Habakkuk in uh, verses 17 through 19 as the book concludes shows us what faith looks like when our world is crumbling. When it, when when things aren't going very well, as Habakkuk described in verse 16, it's easy to praise God when you have your health. It's easy to praise God when the bank account looks good. It's easy to praise God when uh, the job is going well. The cupboards and the freezers are full. But when life is difficult, it's a challenge to offer praise to God. Let me, let me read what, uh, pastor and author Dr. Ray Pritchard has to say before I read these these verses, 18 and 19, in his commentary on Habakkuk, Habakkuk has described a total economic meltdown. Fig trees not budding, the grapes not giving forth, olive crops fail, there's no sheep or cattle, the fields aren't producing. Ancient Israel was an agricultural society. If you ran out of figs, olives, grapes, grain, sheep, and cattle, you were in big trouble. This isn't just a random list. This is a portfolio. What do you do when you are wiped out? What if your investments disappear? What would you do if tomorrow the stock market imploded? Investments gone, pension destroyed, 401k wiped out. What then? How do you face that? What if you lose your job? What if your safety net fails? What if you run out of food? What if you can't pay your bills? What if your loved ones never come to Christ? What if the doctor says it's terminal? What if your spouse has a heart attack and you are left alone? What if America falls to a foreign power? What if you lose your job because you're a Christian? What if you end up in jail for your faith? What then? And he writes Too many Christians have a God of the good times. They serve God and love God and praise Him when all is going well. But what will you do when the hard time comes? If all you have is a God of the good times, you do not have the God of the Bible. Often we mistake faith in our feelings. Faith isn't about my feelings, much less about my circumstances. Faith chooses to believe when it would be easier to stop believing. Habakkuk said, I will wait patiently and I will rejoice. And he found new strength in the midst of desolation. So here's Habakkuk's declaration. Verse 19, judgment's coming our, our, our economy's collapsed. Here's how he responds. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. This is not easy to do. Most of us are thinking, I hope I'm never in the position where I have to Make that kind of choice. But who knows what what, um, God's going to bring across our our pathway. How can you rejoice in the midst of impending judgment? Well, the Bible's full of examples of people that did that. Um, The Apostle Paul in prison writes the prison epistles. He says, what, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He says, hey, I want you to know that what happened to me has happened to the, the furtherance of the gospel. And guess what? I'm in prison, but I've got a captive audience here, and I'm sharing Christ with the guards, and people are coming to faith in Christ. He made a choice to rejoice. How about Job's declaration? Um, This is one that um, I'm not sure I could make. But after Job lost everything, including his ten children, so as Job got up and tore his robe. He was grieving and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship. and He said, naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes, chapter 7, verse 14. If I can find Ecclesiastes, I'll read it. 7.14, when times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, no one can discover anything about their future. How can rejoice in the midst of difficult times? I think really the key is found in um, what and perhaps who Habakkuk is rejoicing in. He's not going around rejoicing because times are difficult and just uh, placating everybody by putting a smile on their face and saying, you know, um, this is good. No, but he's, he's rejoicing in who God is. Not in his circumstances. Notice what he says. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. In my Bible, it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. When you see that in your Bible, that is the name for God, Yahweh, the covenant God, Jehovah. I'm rejoicing in him. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. So he had this personal relationship with God, his Savior, and he was rejoicing in his salvation. And then he says, the sovereign Lord is my strength. The sovereign Lord. God is in control even when our world and our personal life seems out of control. And so he concludes in verse 19, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Did you ever see those pictures of those mountain goats? (laughs) That, that, you know, here's this mountain and it's an angle like 60 degrees and they're just climbing right up there and, and holding on. And that's the picture. He says, God's going to give me strength to do that. I I did a little research. His mountain goat's feet are well suited for climbing steep rocky slopes with pitches exceeding 60 degrees. Their feet have inner pads that provide traction and cloven hoofs that are spread apart. The tips of their feet have sharp claws that keep them from slipping. And so God's designed those mountain goats and those deer to be able to climb the heights and overcome obstacles. And Habakkuk's saying, God's my strength and he will enable me uh, to climb the heights and overcome the challenges of life. Well, this morning, in the next 10 minutes, we're just going to conclude with uh, some life lessons from Habakkuk chapter 3 as uh, we conclude the book. Um, And here's life lesson number one. Life lesson number one is this. God's faithfulness in the past should give us encouragement and hope for the future. God's faithfulness in the past should give us encouragement and hope for the future. We sing about it, don't we? When we sing the hymn, great is thy faithfulness. How does Habakkuk start his prayer? He starts his prayer by recalling God's greatness and faithfulness to Israel and Judah in the past. And when crisis comes and we get worried and stressed and fearful, what can encourage us and give us hope is to recall God's goodness And his faithfulness in the past. Author and marriage counselor Dennis Rainey writes this. We all tend to suffer from spiritual amnesia, forgetting what God has done for us in the past. Wanting to remember God's faithfulness, I started a spiritual milestone file in 1998, he writes it now has over 1,700 milestones in it. Remembrances of the little things and the big things God has done for our marriage and our family. Spiritual milestones remind us of three things. Number one, what God has done in the past. Number two, who God is. His provision, care, and deliverance. Number three, the need to trust God today. And walk by faith. And so when crisis comes and difficulty comes and we all start to panic and get stressed out, and that's my initial reaction too often as well, one of the things we need to do is stop and reflect on God's goodness and God's faithfulness in the past. And it will encourage us. It'll be there for us today, and He'll be there for us in the future. That's why God has memorials all through the Bible, doesn't he? All these memorials, why? I want you to remember, I don't want you to forget what God has done. Someone has said, if you think God has forgotten you, then you've forgotten who God is. And when I can't see God in my present situation, I must remember what he has done in the past. Secondly, the Christian life is based on faith, not feelings. The Christian life is described to be a walk of faith. And if we're going to live by our feelings, we're going to be in trouble. But we're to walk by faith. In fact, Habakkuk 2.4, the key verse, the just shall live by faith. We're not only saved by faith, but we're to walk and live the Christian life by faith. What is faith? It's, it's trust in God and in His promises. The little acrostic, forsaking all, I trust Him. And so faith is the, the engine that, that drives our decisions and our feelings are to be the caboose. And if you were to live by your feelings this morning, um, we probably would have all maybe slept a little longer and stayed in bed and said, uh, there's, uh, next Sunday's another Sunday. But, but we, we made a commitment. We made a faith choice to honor God. The Christian life is lived by faith. 2 Corinthians 5:7. For we live by faith, not by sight.